This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Time for a little off-season bust and loose baseball. Danny Ruye and Graham Paulson with you. Producer Darius Dameron making everything sound good. We'll discuss Barry's Faluga's report on ownership, and we'll get into the World Series, as painful as it might be, and we will do it right now. This is Bustin' Loose Baseball with Grant and Danny. Interviews, analytics, and analysis on everything baseball in the nation's capital. Bustin' Loose Baseball. Looking forward to talking about the Nats. We actually did an event at Nats Park with a few players, former players, and Davey Martinez will tell you about in just a couple of minutes, which was really cool. But I think we should probably start with the World Series. And even though this could be slightly dated by the time you guys listen because someone's going to win game five this evening, uh, someone will go up three games to two. Might as well discuss what we've seen so far between the Astros and the Phillies. Obviously, as we've said throughout the playoffs, Danny, lots of Nationals flavor here. You got Dusty Baker, a managerial legend who was beloved in this city, managing the Astros, trying to get his first ring. And on the other side, you got Bryce Harper, who was the face of this franchise for years, who's just been incredible this postseason, leading the Phils all the way to a World Series, a chance for him to win a title for the first time. Yeah, there's a there's a Nationals-heavy backdrop this entire postseason culminating in two figures that um, you know are certainly very polarizing. And, and l- let us not forget about Kyle Schorber, responsible for pretty much the Nats' only winning month over the last couple of years when he turned into Babe Ruth in June of whatever year that was, 2021. It all seems so long ago. Extremely likable. One of yep. my favorite, I almost said teammates, but what I mean to say is one of my favorite guys in the clubhouse. Mm-hmm. Even though we weren't even in the clubhouse because of COVID, but I I know Schwarber from having interacted with him a few times, even doing some interviews with him when he was in the minors. But just talking to other players, seeing how the the, the interactions go in the dugout, find me someone who doesn't love Kyle Schwarber. Good luck. We had him on at the Super Bowl, believe it or not, years ago. Yeah, that when was he, weird. When he had just come off of that knee problem, whatever it was, I think he had knee surgery. Didn't play the entire season and then just gets out of bed, you know, in, in 34 degree weather in the World Series. It just hits nukes uh, in like hugely important games, like his first day active, like no rehab assignment, no nothing. Pretty incredible, but yeah, a, a great dude. But you're right about the uh, about the two main characters here in this story, and in no uncertain terms, Bryce Harper has been incredible this postseason. I think it's four go ahead home runs or, you know, game, what were viewed as game winning home runs over the course of his time. And uh, it's just been an absolute demon to, to pitch to. You've seen, though, Houston in this series, by the way, basically throw him fastballs up. That's kind of been the strategy, which is very dangerous for a number of reasons. One, if you don't miss up, it's in the hot zone and then it's in, in the seats. Uh, or it can be a ball he can walk, etc. But he's swung under, swung through a number of fastballs. He, at least he did last night, and that's kind of been their their strategy. Houston, I give credit to for this, and it doesn't seem like very much fun to give Houston credit for much of anything. But that's kind of been their mo. I I, I don't want to say they're responsible for this because the data is out there. But I feel like they were among industry leaders here, and you could tell me if you think I'm, I'm full of it. In the 
Let's get back to the four-seamer up in the zone. The whole paradigm of pitching forever, my childhood coming up in the game, and um, you know, obviously we know when you're good enough to be at this high level of a pro, but work down, work down, work down. Ground balls, early contact, work down. Sinkers, sliders, splitters, everything going down, down, down. Up in the zone fastball is now a weapon because everyone throws 100 miles an hour, and that was the first thing they did to Garrett Cole, for example, coming from Pittsburgh, where he had great stuff, but, you know, okay results. And they said, you throw 100, your four-seamer is ridiculous, you throw fastballs at the top of the zone, watch what happens. He turned himself into a Cy Young, $300 million player, etc. You're seeing them use that, and Christian Javier last night, we'll, we'll talk about this here, the combined no-hitter, but he's just pumping fastballs by people in the mid-90s, and his fastball certainly plays up. But I feel like that Houston renaissance has been something that's taken over the game a bit. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, they get credit for that. A lot of it has to do with tunneling, right, and wanting your fastball to look like your breaking ball. But the top of the zone, four-seamers, you know, that everyone now implements, and it's kind of baseball-wide, it's philosophy. It's based on spin rate and sustaining kind of what looks like now the ball is rising at the top of the zone based on eye level. Um, and they, they, they kind of wrote the book early, and, and in a lot of ways, on a lot of things, including, I guess, some of the cheating that they were doing. Yes, they wrote the book on that. But uh, they weren't the only team doing it, and, and teams followed their lead, I think, in, in some capacities in that regard, but in, in a lot of regards over the years. I mean, they are analytically advanced and really sharp, and they do a lot of good things. And as has been seen since they got caught and we found out that they cheated in 17. I mean, you go back through it, right? 2019, they were in the World Series, League Championship Series or World Series, just about every season. So they're legit, you know, with or without trash cans. They've proven that at this point. They're a buzzsaw. I mean, they just keep producing replacements. I mean, how are they going to get over Carlos? Jeremy Pena is there. How are they going to get over? Enter your non-Alvarez. I mean, they are a machine at producing high-quality Major League talent. Yeah, there's no doubt. And uh, they're they got more coming. I mean, they got help on the way, even though the system is finally falling off now to being kind of in the bottom rung, I would say, among um, minor league operations. Um, as far as Bryce Harper goes really quickly, I just wanted to say, so everyone's acting like he never played well in the playoffs before, and that's revisionist history. Do you remember in 14 when oh, the Nats got knocked out? He was the entire offense. The Giants eliminated them in four games in that series, and Bryce had three homers and four batted in in four games. If they win and move on, and he goes and has another big LCS. I mean, you're talking about a potentially historically significant power postseason that he was off to. Three homers and an RBI per game through four games. So uh, he was big in 14. He homered in 17 when they lost in five games to the Cubs. Um, batting average was never all that high. Just the 2014 Giants series was the only time he really hit for much average. But he has been a juggernaut for the Phillies. In the wild card against St. Louis, he was uh, two for eight with a home run. Then in the division series against Atlanta, he was batting 500, eight for 16 with two bolts and five batted in. League championship series when he was the MVP, he went eight for 20 at the plate with three doubles and two homers and he drove in five while hitting, uh, hitting 400 and, and batting you know 1250 with the OPS. And now into the World Series, four games in, they've split the first two at the Astros. As we record, you know he's got a home run and a couple batted in and stole a base last night. I don't know why he hits fourth. I mean, that's the only thing, not to channel the old school, you know, Dusty Anthony Rendon debate, but it is kind of inexplicable to me that I watch them bat in the first inning, and if they go one, two, three, yeah. Bryce Harper doesn't get a crack at the top of the order. Uh, hard to argue with the results and everything that's happened and how well things are going for them, and maybe Harper batting where he has has allowed Reese Hoskins to get going and hit for some of the power that he has, but... 
Yeah, the former Nats, man. Harper's been unbelievable. And Schwarber in the LCS and the World Series has four homers. I mean, he also is is mashing. So if they're going to get to Verlander tonight, as we sit here and tape on Thursday, if they're going to win this series, you know, you have to imagine one or both of those guys is going to have to do something pretty big here. You would say so. I mean, Verlander's beyond due for a good World Series performance. I mean, some of that is hyperbolic that he, quote, doesn't win in the World Series. He's had excellent outings where he doesn't win. He's also had bad outings where he hasn't won. But the numbers are – we're all aware of them, and I'm sure Verlander is as well. I just was amazed. I thought nothing was going to cool off that Phillies lineup. It looked like a group of destiny. Their their pitching has has been obviously incredible, and they're on a great run there, and they've sort of figured out a way to hide the bad parts of their bullpen and emphasize the good, and it's really just as a staff they've been outstanding. I thought that was what was going to have to happen. If you're going to beat the Phillies in this in this World Series in this postseason, you got to win 8-7. to seven. Right, you got to do something special, as you know, in terms of an offense. But what we saw last night, the combined no hitter, remarkable stuff. I, it just, I don't really have any other way to describe that. I mean, you, you got the A version of the Astros bullpen. You're worried at first that oh my god, did they did they take out Javier you know too prematurely? Was that a mistake? Looks like a genius move at this stage. I mean, they were unbelievable last night, finally cooling off those Phillies bats. Who knows what the carryover is? I mean, it's always, momentum's always about that next day starting pitcher, but I I was frankly really surprised it went down that way. Yeah, so I agree with you about the usage. I was a little interested to see that they ran through three relievers, which up 5 nothing. I didn't know was necessary, but, I mean, they had a couple of days off, obviously. The series started, so it might also be a situation where you can get some work for some guys. The Phillies did that, obviously, the night before. I thought they could have had Kyle Gibson throw all three innings, and they didn't. They had him throw one inning and then went to other relievers to kind of maybe keep guys fresh. I guess we'll see as we move on here. But Javier is so nasty, by the way. Yep. I mean, what an awesome start for that kid. We haven't even mentioned that a combined no-hitter was thrown last night. And you know, this is where I guess I'll be a nerd or a, or poo-poo it, and I'm an old fart. Combined no-hitters to me just aren't interesting. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. Like, my wife came home. She was out uh, having a drink with a friend, and she came running home kind of thinking I think I was going to be having a party about a, a no-hitter in the World Series. She's like, what'd you think? What'd you think? And I played along a little bit, but largely, Danny, a combined no-hitter to me is not really a no-hitter I care about. It was an awesome scene. It was To me, the story was how amazing the, the Astros pitched the game. You know, the, the story was just how dominant Javier was and, and how strong Abreu, Montero, Presley were after that. But the fact that it's the second no-hitter, I think, or the, the first since Larson's perfect game in the World Series, for a lot of people that moves the needle, I, I'm just not a combined no-hitter guy. The needle has moved for me, but it's not the same. Right, it's um. I don't have a great analogy. Like, imagine the finest restaurant in the world, your favorite place, and your favorite dessert coming to the table at the conclusion of a great meal. That's like the World Series no hitter. That's like Roy Holiday doing something incredible. Yeah. That's Don Larson. This is a a, a Safeway store bought cake. Still very good. It's still better than eating nothing. It's still better than not having dessert. But it's not the same as that super gourmet, incredible experience. Right, I'm. I look at it as as more of an oddity, as a treat, as something that was pretty cool. Because, again, you don't see that. It, when, when something has only happened a couple times in history, it's noteworthy. But I know that I just don't feel the same way about it. I, I, don't, I don't know if that quantifies it very well or it makes sense. But so let me ask you it's, this. It's impressive. And if you guys want to uh, – this is how we know who's listening to the podcast, right? You could tweet us a response to this question. 
kind of like uh, sh- it's a know, little test. Yeah, putting your little like uh, we're telling you to put something in your homework if you're in class or whatever, so that when we check it, we know you're in class. Is a combined no hitter a no hitter on a binary? I, in other words, it goes down in the books as a no hitter. But for your own consideration. Do you file it as a no-hitter? I do not. It sounds like you do. I think I do, but I but I know that it's not the same. Yeah. But I don't have a good definition. I, I can't li- – I, I, like in a court of law, I wouldn't be able to, to win my case, <laughs> right? I just – I know how it feels. It, it doesn't feel as special as if Javier went all nine, nine innings. That wasn't going to happen. He was p- approaching 100 pitches um, because of the number of strikeouts he had and maybe he wasn't as pitch efficient. But I know that it's impressive. I know that it's not as impressive as if it's one guy just dealing for 27 outs. I think that's a given. It's still more than zero, though. So if 100 is the, is the full no-no, zero is you lasted a third of an inning, you, you Corbined uh, in July. It's like a, a 85, 90 for me. It's still pretty amazing. Like, But, you know, if you'd gone a complete game and given up five hits, it's probably that level of, of amazing, if that makes sense. Do Nats fans want the Astros or the Phillies to win the World Series? As a majority, do you think? And I, I've been candid on our show on Grant and Danny, and I don't know that it's even come up on the podcast, but I'm rooting for the Phillies because this is just kind of selfishly my own thing. I have a really good buddy of mine who pitches for the Phillies, Kyle Gibson, who I mentioned a few minutes ago. I'm friendly with a, a member of their front office who I go back with many, many years as well. And for those two guys who I know as people and as humans and all the sweat and the tears and everything they put in to their crafts in the game, it would be really cool to see them as people that that I care about win a World Series ring. So that's kind of my rooting interest. I also don't hate Bryce like a lot of Nats fans and maybe many of the people listening to Bustin Loose Baseball right now. Uh, I, I've never hated Bryce. I, I want good things for him. I love Schwarber. You know, I like Bryce. I love Schwarbs. Um, and there are some other guys who I've never met or have never interactions uh, had interactions with, really, like Reese Hoskins, who I had on my baseball show over the phone years ago, but I've never met in person, or Alec Bohm or, or Bryson Stott, who, you know, it's cool to see what, what, what's happening. I, I've always liked J.T. Romuto. My brief interactions with him at All-Star Games have always been very pleasant. I think he's an underrated star in this game. So, like, th- there's enough guys that I root for on, on that side of it. I would be happy for Dusty. If he won the World Series, uh, but there's there's just not enough meat on the bone for me with the Astros having already won one. Some of these guys, and obviously the backdrop of of what we know about the org. I would guess if there is a majority of Nats fans on this, because it's complicated for everybody. But I would guess the majority are tilting towards the Astros simply because it can't be Philly. You didn't have to take back the park from the Astros. You didn't have them get bust well, and down. People and people love Dusty. Yeah, of course. But that's that's the other part of it. Um, I can't have anything good happen for Philly. I, I, that's that's where I start, finish. That's let's answer one through a hundred. I think a lot of Nats fans feel that way. You remember going uh, being at RFK where they were the bullies. You remember the first few years at Nats Park when they just ruin your time and and they're so obnoxious and terrible and the worst in the pits. I can't have those folks be happy. So yeah, I, I mean that's that's kind of where this thing starts and ends for me. So it's almost like the lesser of two. It's not even almost like it's the lesser of two evils here at this stage. I I want. Bad things to happen to the Astros. I want them to experience nothing but huge lost seasons and get properly punished and booed and all that other kind of stuff. I'm never going to get that satisfaction. They're excellent. They're the organization that I frankly would like to be, to be honest with you. I, I look at them as the model for, for the Nationals and for anybody else who would like to be successful. If you want to win 100-plus games a year, do what they do. Copy them directly. 
um, even even if it means come with comes with the territory being hated. But uh, I think that's where my my leanings lie. It's more against the Phillies than anything else. Bang, zoom. All right, so let's talk Nats. That's what people want to hear about here on Bustin' Loose Baseball. So we actually did a cool event over at Nats Park this past weekend. Danny and I were asked to come over and MC a event for some season ticket holders, uh, which was really, really cool. So we showed up. We went to the green room, which is essentially uh, a room where the uh, like they, the kids hang out for the players, like a family area uh, on game days. And there was a wall in there that we were attracted to that was really neat, which had a bunch of basically like if you're a kid who has a parent who plays for the Nationals and you're sitting in there, you put your hands or your feet on the wall and they get traced and you sign it. And so there's all these little hands and feet of these kids from 10, 12, 15 years ago that are now giants that are walking around the ballpark. It's really neat. Um, But some of the names are just blasts from the past and – I, I thought that was a really cute thing that they have in there. Fantastic. It, and it's a, a room that we've walked by a hundred times. I didn't know it was there. I I, I I literally have walked, I've seen that area. It's hard to explain in the, kind of the bowels of Nats Park by the Nationals Clubhouse. I've walked by it a million times, didn't know what it was, had never seen it or thought about it or whatever. And you and I are kind of kicking it in there beforehand with um, uh, as if the players walked in and they kind of gave us the skinny of what was going on throughout the day. But it was really neat. It was like, you know, you look at the the 2014 through 2018 window, you know, and it's, uh, you know, Ian Desmond's kids and Matt Wieters' kids and and all these different uh, little guys. And it kind of reminds you, blast from the past, of of people that have come through here, even for a brief time, whether as coaches, players, uh, and, and those kind of stops. It was really, really cool uh, to to see that and kind of be part of it, but yeah, it was a it was a fun event, man. It was it's it's neat. It's just you're you're out there and you realize there is this legit hunger among this ever growing, slowly but surely, fan base for you know for for uh, you know access to the Nationals and and you know kind of buying in on baseball and kind of the whole process of doing it. The ebbs and flows. The questions I thought were really good. Some of the players that were there to to answer them. Questions of Davey Martinez from the fans I thought were really cool. You know, kids like you know six seven year old kids are asking about how do you combat adrenaline before the game? What's your pregame routine or superstitions and different things like that? Just very cool personal stuff that you'd always kind of want to know as as a fan who doesn't get access to these guys two three four five hours before first pitch. I thought it was a fun event. Yeah, so the players, just so people know, that uh, participated were Sean Doolittle, who obviously got off to such a great start with the Nats last year before he got hurt and didn't sound like a guy who's ready to step away from the game by any means at the end of last season. Uh, But we'll see whether or not he keeps playing and if it's here. Um, Matt Adams was also there. And it was cool to see him again, who's a World Series 2019 participant. In fact, he got one plate appearance in the LCS and one in the World Series, and he got on base both times with a hit and a walk um, as he was coming off the bench during that playoff run. But obviously, you know, he had, I think, 40-plus home runs here in Washington. Yeah, he did. Some huge swings for them. And it was great, just a great guy. It was good to see him again. Always liked Matt Adams. Uh, and uh, Kyle Finnegan. Among the kind of younger core representing the current, you know, next wave of nationals was there as well. And I hadn't spent a lot of time around him. I think we may have had him on the show once, but very, very pleasant. Really cool dude. Really nice guy. Enjoyed, you know, soft spoken. Very much you can tell, like a a normal guy. Not not in any way like just happens to throw ninety eight. Exactly. Not a guy that like walks around like his s doesn't stink. Just a completely normal dude. Um, and uh, just a, a good guy, good-looking guy with great lettuce. Great come, hair. Gr- absolutely really great hair. Really good hair. And then Davey Martinez was there as well. I will say the um, one of the funniest moments to me of, of the 
program was. So Danny and I came out and introduced ourselves, and then we we brought the players out one at a time and kind of did little intros for them, and people would cheer for each guy, and they'd come sit down. Well, we asked a few questions to start, and after five or six minutes of us kind of going around the horn with these guys, we opened it up to the audience, and you have no idea what people are going to ask, obviously, but the first question, you know, you've, you've been waiting probably weeks knowing you're coming to this event if you're a season ticket holder, was from this kid who said, hey, I, my name is something, I don't remember, his last name was Strasburg. And he said, I keep getting Steven Strasburg's mail at my house, and I want to know who do I send it to and how do I get rid of it or something. <laughs> it was great. And he, Popped the whole room. Yeah. The whole room laughed. But it was it, literally, it sounds like people are sending him fan mail, like cards to sign and things like that, to his house. I don't, I don't know if it was because it's his last name or he lives in Strasburg, Virginia, or what it is exactly. Sam Strasburg but, or something. Right, yeah, yeah, exactly. Just very, very funny. And a little kid asking. And so, like, Sean Doolittle and Kyle Finnegan are now tasked with figuring out what to do with that. Yeah, but, David uh, just goes, just sign it and send it back. Yeah. <laughs> it, that was a great suggestion. Yeah. Davey said there was a time where he started getting Dennis Martinez cards back in the day. Which is great. And he would just sign them as Dennis Martinez and send them back after a while, which I think is hilarious. Um, one moderately notable thing, and, and I don't think, I don't know what the rules are on like, oh, is that off the record, on the record, whatever, but there were enough fans there, and I don't think it was particularly groundbreaking, so it's worth passing along. Davey was asked, like, if you got to run everything, you didn't have to answer to anybody, what would you want done this offseason? And he said in a meeting with Mike Rizzo, what he basically asked and suggested, implored, whatever word you want to use is, he wants two starting pitchers, or a couple, I guess Uh he said, of starting pitchers. And to me, that would mean, I got Josiah Gray, I got Cade Cavalli, I got Mackenzie Gore. You know, you might have more, whether it's Fetty or or some of these homegrown options, if a couple of the guys from last year that came up get healthy. But you want some veterans that can eat some innings for you. You know, you you really need to save the pen, because the pen got so worn down as the year went on, and he said it, and we've known this, and he talked about it a lot this season, but there's so many of these four- and five-inning starts. You just can't do that all the time. You can't have a whole rotation of guys that if they go six innings, that's great. And so maybe you figure Corbin's in the mix still with those three guys, and then you sign a couple starters to compete, and it works itself out where someone's not available, and, and you got five of the six ready at the start of the year. But it, I thought that was interesting. I, mean, I don't think they're going to spend a lot of money until they figure out what's going on with ownership which we'll talk about in a second. But the idea that it would be a priority to get a couple more arms is is music to my ears. Well, uh, here, here. And his point was that's what this organization has been built on, right? That's how they competed with averaging around 90-plus wins for a decade was that that gives you the best chance to be consistently good. Other things come and go, whether that's bullpen, you know, offenses slump, defenses slump, but starting pitching gives you a chance to compete, you know, every day. And, uh, you know, you start to name some of the names, you go, well, they've got five, six, seven guys that have have pitched for them. But the number of injuries, the number of of wear downs, the number of bits of uncertainty, you know, from guys like Mackenzie Gore, who, you know, were shut down, we never got to see, which was kind of a bummer, Um, you know, uncertainty about Strasburg, uncertainty about Patrick Corbin, etc. You know some of the names of guys that, in theory, would be starting pitchers for them. But to hear him say that, I just thought was interesting. It wasn't we got to get Strauss healthy. It wasn't we got to fix Patrick Corbin. It was I'd like to go out and get a couple pitchers. Kind of a, a different tone than, than you would have thought. And I'm sure he wants to do that, those things. Oh, of course too. he does. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but yeah, just kind of something worth passing along. See you later. 
All right. The item that we should hit on, though, from this week in D.C., before we get out of here, is the Berries for Luga story in the Washington Post from, I think this was Tuesday. MLB gets involved in mass and debate to help facilitate sale of the Nationals. Barry wrote that six months after the Lerner family announced its intention to explore a sale of the Nationals, MLB has inserted itself into the negotiations to resolve an issue that has hampered the franchise since it relocated to the nation's capital, uh, Masson. A group led by monumental sports founder Ted Leonsis, which has the financial backing from a D.C. philanthropist, David Rubenstein, has been in discussions with the investment bank overseeing this process. Several people familiar with the process believe Leonsis to be the leading candidate to purchase the Nationals, Barry wrote. Here's the problem is Masson. And I got to say, while we didn't report anything, we were all over this a couple weeks ago. Because if you remember, I said, I keep hearing Leonsis, it's... You know, he's the front runner. The next day, I think the report came out in The Athletic saying that uh, Ted is the front runner. And what I have heard all along, though, was if not for Masson, this would be a pretty seamless process. It's a layup for anybody. And, and yeah. Leon- for, for anyone, but specifically the Leonsis group, in other mm-hmm. words, would be 100% all in and would be making moves and that this could happen pretty quickly. They got to figure the Masson part out, though, if it's going to work for them. Ted, for people that don't know, or maybe you're not listening in this area, you're a Nats fan somewhere else, owner of the Capitals, the Wizards, the Mystics, Capital One Arena, venue events, all those things. Well, he owns now NBC Sports Washington. Monumental Sports is his company, I guess. So they run NBCSW, which is the television arm that the Wizards and the Capitals are on. I'm quite sure he would then, if he bought a baseball team, like them to be on. And it's not abnormal if you look in terms of RSNs. The Cubs, some others are on NBC Sports Washington, you know, the Chicago version, like NBC Sports Boston, Chicago, whatever. So that's probably the end game. I'm speculating a little bit, uh-huh. but, but it makes not, very not much, sense. right? Yeah. Um, MLB's aware that any new owner would want to know how much money it would receive from Masson for the team's regional media rights. MLB officials told the Post and Barry uh, they said Tuesday didn't engage in a negotiation certainty about the revenue going forward a step that could give Leonsis' group confidence to move forward with its bid. So that's where we're at now on this thing. So the I, I was intrigued by this uh, this work here from, from, from Barry. There are a couple key, po- key points to me. Number one, Major League Baseball, quote-unquote, stepping in. What does that mean? What does that mean exactly? The only thing I can read, and, and reading this and you know any other sort of proceedings that have had to do with the various court uh, rulings, subsequent appeals is the Orioles, aka Angelos, and then his now his estate, which would be his children, maybe his wife, whomever, um, have no incentive to change the structure. There is no reason if you are an Orioles fan or an Orioles executive and a member of the Angelos family or whomever, this deal is so completely tilted in your favor. The only reason you might be incentivized to do it is an end to the legal headaches, but this is a family that's made its fortune doing legal things. That's where Peter Angelos you know, got, got famous, got wealthy, and, and everything else. That's how he ascended uh, to the position that he is in. So if you're tired of taking whatever monies that, that Masson earns and basically putting it in an escrow account, knowing that it's either going to be one day paid to the Nationals or for legal funds or all these different fights that have to go on, maybe then you might be incentivized to change, but I just don't see it. I don't see what Major League Baseball can do other than to ask nicely – or to further escalate and say, 
we need to, to overrule previous language that is very crystal clear in this contract and use the best interest of baseball clause, tear it up, and hope that we don't get sued. Because I imagine the Orioles wouldn't just go quietly. The option to me would be a new ownership group having to pay out a huge agreed-to buyout or bits of cash or something to dissolve this agreement that, again, is really advantageous to the Orioles and a huge hamper and anchor and yoke around the neck of the Washington Nationals. And anybody that would want to own them is going to have to deal with that at some point. The learners, I think, probably thought that by this time this would all be over. They thought they'd win, they would, you know, they would be in the rearview mirror, and they would be able to strike a fair deal. It hasn't happened, and it's left tens of millions of dollars. No one should cry poverty for them. That's not what I'm suggesting. But in terms of the operating cost and the day-to-day operations, that's a cash injection that should 100% be there that hasn't been at any point in time in their ownership. So this feels to me like one of those things where everybody's sick of it, everyone knows I don't know how to say this in a better way, but who the bad guy is, quote-unquote. And I put that in quotation marks. The Orioles are protecting their own interests. But they know who's at fault. They know who the roadblock is. I just don't know exactly what they can do about it. And I'm sure a smarter legal mind than my own, I'm very trained in the ways of the law, GP, as you know, uh, would be able to tell me exactly what this would take. But this is still an obstacle. This is still the roadblock. And to me, it's the reason. Remember, we were told, end of the season, November, we'll know. I don't feel like we're getting a word anytime soon as to who the new owner is going to be. I like your 2017 Nationals postseason jacket that you're wearing today. It's a light windbreaker yep. almost. Is that the one we were given the day of the ice cold game? So that was 2014. That was the Giants oh, series. Oh, right. That where was, we well, got, that was the frigid game. Yeah, red pullovers that I think you and I both have. Yeah. It's a cardigan, but thanks for noticing. Thanks it's for that noticing. One. Yeah, yep. that's the pullover. This one was, of course, from the 2017 postseason. Is this, is this Dodgers or is this Cubs? So 2017 was the Cubs, I believe. No, wait. 17 was the last time they were in the playoffs, right? Yeah, missed it in 18. Yeah, so that would have been Dusty's last series. I think that was the Dodgers then. Yeah. So I was wearing this when Wilmer Defoe struck out against Clayton Kershaw to end it. I was wearing this when Jason Worth got sent on a base hit where he was out by 60 feet. They lost in five games in the division series to the Chicago Cubs. It was the Cubs. Cubs. It was the Cubs. So, yeah, the Cubs was more recent because, remember, we went to Wrigley Field. That was when uh, they they had traded for relievers, including Brandon Kinsler, but then uh, then Dusty pitched Sammy Solis instead and pulled Max out of the game at Wrigley. You remember the view that we had? Even though I was down in the auxiliary press box, down the left field line, you could see into the Cubs' dugout the joy. The joy in that dugout when Dusty trotted out there, took Max Scherzer out of the game, Mm -hmm. put his right hand, touched his left arm a few times, and then pointed to the bullpen and touched his left arm again. The Cubs dugout acted like they just won. They felt good. They were so excited to see Sammy Solis in there uh, against a pitch hitter. I believe it was Alberto Almora hit a ball so hard it grew lips and screamed promptly. Yeah, I, it's a great call. I'll never forget. He had 300 it. against lefties that year, I'm pretty Thank sure. Thank goodness he got to bat. Uh, yeah, so the, the playoff runs, if you're keeping score at home. So 2012, that's the Cardinals. You lose in five in the division series. Daniel Descalso and Pete Cosma. 2014 was the Giants, the division series in four games. 2016 would have been the Dodgers. That's Dodgers. That was the five-game series. That was a backbreaker at Nats Park. I remember sitting in left field watching that game going. Will I ever experience anything other than this feeling? Will it ever happen? Luckily, one year later, we got to run it back <laughs> and feel it again 
against the Chicago Cubs in five games. And then, after missing the playoffs in 18 and Davey Martinez's first year, 93 wins, you get in as a wild card, and you win the World Series. Ho-hum. Just what you do. Three years since, no playoffs, but I'm, I'll trade a World Series win for three years without the playoffs. Yeah, this is this is our tax. I would gladly pay that tax. I'll Every time. Again. But, so, do, do, am I, just to get back to Madison, am I totally off base? Like, do you have a different read on it than I do? In terms of, like, what, what would be the question then? I, I guess my thing is, it sounds nice that Major League Baseball wants to get involved. I think they've been involved throughout. It's to well, me, and I'm not, I'm not saying anything bad about Barry here, but I'm kind of going, what tools do they have I, other than other than kind of being a dictator? I'm not smart enough to answer the question. I'll first say that. I have no idea. It's just, I'm so out of my depths. You know, I, I, I was on the beach, and now I'm looking, and I'm 300 yards away, and unless a boat comes, I'm screwed. Yeah. Way, way, way too out of my depth here. Having said that, I imagine if they don't think they can get a deal done with an owner they want, unless something changes with this deal, they'll find a way to fix it. I really believe that. In other words, if it's going to be bad for baseball in D.C., if it's going to be bad for Major League Baseball in general, if the learners who have checked out in some capacity, or at least some of them other than Mark Maybe or whatever the situation is, if they don't want to be owning the team or they, they want them to sell the team or you've got whether it's Leonsis or, or some other group that you really think is going to do good things and that you want involved in your ownership groups. And I don't, I mean like globally, like the, the 30 groups, uh, the 30 owners, you want them in the fraternity, then they'll make it happen. They're not going to allow the Masson deal to prohibit a sale, in my opinion. And I don't think Leonsis will buy the team unless they fix There's got to the Any owner, thing. there's got to be clarity in that thing. That's yes. a smart point by you, though, Grant. But, but you keep saying any owner, and I agree with you. It sucks, and it's a bad situation for any owner. I'm speculating a little bit, but I'd say it's moderately informed speculation. I think for him, it's a deal breaker. Like, a lot of what he's doing, his end game is media-related and television-related, and he didn't buy NBC Sports Washington for no reason. Oh, totally. And, and I mean, he got a, a chunk of NBCSW years ago, and now the whole thing, and Monumental Sports and Entertainment is its own entity in terms of production, and they do some really cool broadcasting stuff. So I, I just think for him, Masson, which is kind of a... The, the production isn't great. It's a bare-bones operation. Yeah, yeah, the, the, the by value, design, it is. The value's bad, and he knows that. Like, it's his competitor, so to speak. He's not going to buy a team where he can't get them off of his competitor's air. I don't think. I agree with you. I think it would be kind of a, a full stop I do think it's him. a smart point by you, though, where Major League Baseball will say, okay, this is now for a sale. And if I was the learners, I'd be annoyed. It's different than the degree, learners but, being mad. Yeah. Now it's, we have to sell this team to someone, and if we don't fix this... It's like a house, right? It's like the HOA is basically telling you to uh, fix your window. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm just making something up. Mm-hmm. And the person who lives there for a long time, uh, or, or like you're complaining about the person's house next door to the HOA is a better comp. No, like, I can't do anything. I can't do anything. I can't do anything. The whole time you got the house, you're like, they're ruining this for me. They're ruining my value. Like, I, I need the ability to park, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, ah, oh, we can't help you. Now, when that house is for sale, they'll fix it. Because it's gonna it's gonna hurt their bottom line of what they can get. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Makes perfect sense. And I that would be I guess the path to it. Uh, Bust and lose baseball in the books. We're back at it next week. Thanks for listening. Please spread the word. As there is Nats news to break down, we'll get it to you right here on BLB. Thanks to Darius for Danny. I'm Grant saying so long.